everyone. Welcome to episode 381. I knew it this week. Hey. Oh, this is whole life. Yeah, last week apparently was episode 380. And then, <laughs> but just to make sure, I went back and checked with bonus episodes. This, well, no, last week with bonus episodes, last week was our 400th episode in this feed. And you really? didn't even wow. know what And I didn't even know what didn't even know. Yeah. Randy. So, Randy, what a missed opportunity. What I, right? What a huge missed opportunity. So we're past it. Let's move yeah, on. Yeah, forget it. That's it. <laughs> and so, you know, I just went and just, uh, I like to give you guys updates every so often. Over those 400 episodes, we've had nearly 50,000 people listen to those 400 episodes. And so... Wow. 50,000 different people or uh, downloads? 49,900 yeah. of my mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, John claims his mother is still uh, working off his couple of podcast episodes. So keep it nice. So, no, but seriously, 50,000 48,000 listens. People. So, unique lists. List. Not unique No, they're not unique listens, but 48,000 okay. times this the content okay. has been ingested okay. by, by someone. And many of those people so have in, been long So, in fact, thank you, Mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank you to all of our, well, not mine, but yeah, yeah thank you to all of thank you. Yeah. So, uh, that's just, to me, that just is a sign of you guys doing a great job. You listen, you're engaged, you ask questions, you share the show. And so, just thank you for that. You're that, just awesome. Just awesome. And then the other thing I wanted to really, um, I wanted to go, if you guys miss messages, sometimes you, I don't know how many people that listen to the podcast actually go and watch the whole service. But if there was a service you didn't want to miss other than the usual Easter Christmas kind of things, the choir was back this week mm. and they killed it. They oh, were wow. um, so good. amazing. So if I was a person who hadn't seen this yet, I would go to wholelife.church and on the front page. You'll find the message, and if you go to our YouTube channel, which is also a link right on the top of our homepage, you'll go there, and you can find both services from last week. So yeah. This would be an opportune time to say thank you to Wycliffe. For the, yeah, Wycliffe, and, absolutely. And, and all the people in the choir, yeah. but Wycliffe is their leader, and yeah, awesome job, Wycliffe. Yeah, and, it's fantastic. And Stevie on the guitar this week just made Ooh. that's my that's, like that's oh, my yeah. favorite instrument, and he just added so much to it that. It was out front, but it was uh, it was part of not just leading, mm -hmm. but it was part of, but it led as well. It was just it was perfect. We rattled the rafters this we week. Did. It, was it was a good week. <laughs> it was a very good week to be at church. <laughs> Finally, thank you, Tito, uh, newest member to yeah. our online worship host. For those of you that may be online viewers of our weekly services. Tito has been longtime member here, but in so can I just say center. like I expected Tito to be good. I yeah. just didn't expect him to be that good. He was awesome. He was, was so good. And if you leave worship, so good. Even watching online, if you left that service without a smile on your face every time Tito talked to you specifically and looked you in the eye and smiled to yep. the and smiled, I don't know how you go away with that without a smile. So Tito, I know you're listening because you say you listen. Oh, he wore Nikes last week, so yeah. I, knew, I knew he, <laughs> he was, was looking sharp as always. Great job, my friend. Your initial run was just about straight up perfection, as far as yeah, I'm it concerned. Was, it would be hard to improve on. All right, so Ken promised us a few things this past week. Uh oh, did I? Did Ken, I? Yeah, you did. You, did. you said you were going to go a little bit deeper into the removal of the lampstand. Yeah. And then you were going to go a little bit deeper into the Nike reference. Okay. And in, in that vein, I want to start off with a comment from Matthew in our online chat, which, of course, we encourage each of you to be a part of if you are someone that joins us online each week. And the only place to do that is wholelife.church slash live. There's a conversation among friends that happens there every week, and it's really something not to miss if you want to be a part of that community as well while you're watching. All right. Matthew said, wait a minute. 
So are we, and pause, pause, I'm not sure how to feel about the Nike symbol. I'm still debating or trying to understand the significance of the symbol with this sermon. So as long as you are going to go into it anyway, I figured let's go ahead and get Matthew's comment out there. A little unsure of why or what the meaning and significance. So I'm hoping that what you were going to tell us would kind of round into that as well. Yeah. So in the sermon, one of the things that I mentioned was that Christianity would take um, symbols uh, that, that were pagan and then repurpose them. Right. I don't believe I'm an inaccurate Bible scholar, right, Melanie? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Back me up on I, I this. I think that they spoke into the context and, and communicated <laughs> in the context in a way that the context would understand. She was smiling in such a way that she was making me a little bit nervous. She made me nervous, yeah, too, yeah, there for a second. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah, so. Anyway, so what we were doing is just repurposing a, um, a symbol that's uh, very prevalent in the culture and time that we live in and just kind of repurposing and say, hey, when you see this symbol, think about that Jesus has called you and, and the whole life church to victory. And so where that came from is that the Greek word that's used for victory in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it's used in each one of the seven churches. It says, uh, let the, the person who has ears hear what the Spirit has to say, uh, the person who has gets victory will receive, and then it gives a different, each church gets a different reward for, for victory. But what's important is that every single one of the seven churches is called to be victorious. And that word in the original Greek is the word, and I probably will not pronounce it correctly, but it's nikeo, basically. And the, it is the root word that is used for the goddess Nike. So mm, okay, nice. it basically uh, means victory in the face of adversity. Um, is what this Greek word it means. So in other places in Revelation, the same word is used as overcoming. So it's not just victory. It can be used for overcoming. And, Which is kind of a victory. Yeah. And so in Roman and Greek uh, culture, the goddess um, Nike was the goddess that would, when somebody was victorious, she would deliver a wreath and crown the person as the victor um, after... Um, they had won a race or, 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 or had won a military victory. And so Nike would show up and kind of say, yes, in fact, this is official. This is the victorious person. Here's the wreath. Here's the laurels. Nike was given wings so that she could fly as quickly as possible to wherever a person was victorious. And so the, and then she would, like I said, give the laurels to the person that had won, which was the symbol of victory in those times. So Nike was founded by Phil Knight. And when Phil was, uh, the story goes that basically he was selling uh, running shoes out of the back of his car for a while. So he didn't have a whole lot of money. Um, this is back before everybody had like a pair of, you know, running shoes, whether they were Adidas or Nikes or Reebok or whatever the case was. And so he kind of had this dream of kind of creating this global brand that would make athletic shoes. And he needed a symbol, he needed a name for his brand. And so he, went and kind of thought about it a little bit and decided that he wanted to name his company Nike after the goddess Nike who gives victory. So, you know, you can kind of see why that might be advantageous to your branding, you know, that you wear these shoes and you're victorious, you know, and if you're racing, that's, that gives you a little bit of an edge. But every brand needs to have a logo of some kind. At Whole Life, we have a logo that we like to put on things. So Phil knew, knew he needed a logo, and so he didn't have any money. He didn't have uh, enough money to go hire a professional firm to do it, so he went down to his local community college, and he found a graphic design student, 
and he asked her to design a logo for him. And as the story goes, I think he was paying her like $3 an hour or something like that and took her. Now, this was a while ago, but still. It was. It was a while ago. And so she designs this logo. And what she did is she said, okay, you're calling yourself Nike. So how can I go ahead and figure out how to combine this goddess Nike into this logo that I'm creating, but also create something that's simple and, and, and most importantly, had to fit on the side of a shoe. It had to be a design that looked right on the side of a shoe, which is, it, it sounds a lot easier than it is. It's actually quite difficult. And so she went through a bunch of different iterations and Phil Knight did not like the swoosh originally. Um, he didn't care for it, but over time he kind of kind of grew to like it. Well, where she got the swoosh from was from the goddess Nike's wings. And so if you think about the swoosh, think of it in terms of wings. And if you kind of you can kind of see how it could kind of look like a little bit of a wing. And you know, wings are what propel you that make you make an angel move or, or in this case a goddess move. And so you know you have wings on your shoes. that kind of makes a little bit of sense. And so by the time it was all done, the logo was thirty-five dollars, and that's and that's <laughs> wow. what uh, that's what Phil paid this lady to make his logo. And uh, the lady's name, by the way, is it's worth giving her a name since she only got thirty-five dollars for it, right? Um, <laughs> she uh, her name was Carolyn Davidson, and so that's that's kind of how it came about. And I I think. It was actually less than $3. I think she worked 17 and a half hours making the design. I was going to say, it's less than 40 hours. I mean, that's yeah. pretty good to come up with an iconic design yeah, that stood the test of time like not Nike too has. Bad. Now, the cool thing is, the cool thing is that um, after Nike became a very iconic um, brand and made a lot of money, they actually called Carolyn back and they said, you probably deserve a little bit more than $35. <laughs> And I can't remember how many shares they gave her of Nike, but it it was worth, I think, somewhere around $500,000. And they gave her a very, very costly little, I think, golden swoosh or something along those lines. I would say she was victorious. I would say she was victorious. (laughs) Those mythological gods that can come in and deliver the goods. So now I've given you all that (laughs) background. So why do I want to repurpose that? Because I don't think it was an accident that Jesus through John, uses this word Nikao, I think, to be victorious. I think that he, Jesus had in mind that a Greek-speaking person would have a, in the back of their mind this picture of the goddess Nike, who delivers a, a wreath at the end to the victor. And so Jesus is is inspiring the believers in that time to think, hey, look, goddess Nike, obviously not real, but God is, and God will deliver the vict- victor's wreath, the victor's laurels to me if I overcome, if I am victorious. And how are we victorious? As I pointed out in Revelation, there is it tells us how we're flor- victorious through the blood of Jesus, through our testimony, and also, and that testimony has to do with Jesus, and then um, by not being, not putting our our life ahead of the gospel, but putting the gospel first. I and, love that repurposing, though. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. It's a great thought process of thinking about how how creative that is. And to me, that's one of the things that Jesus always, in my mind, is a, is a creative person. I mean, God himself being the ultimate creator. But 
to have someone that's that creative and that is thinking in ways that he knows is going to be an impact to someone who doesn't even believe the same thing or doesn't understand God in the same way that he would want to be, but using another God, using another God, to me, that's genius. That is, that's just so, that's so brilliant. And I think it's just a fun thing for us today. I mean, the, the Nike logo is everywhere. You look sure. pretty much, you know, if you're in a group of 10 people, somebody's got on a pair of Nikes probably. And I think in the room that we're in right now. There's six of them right now in the um, room. Yeah. Oh, Are one, there six? Two. Oh, no, there's, there's eight, nine. Plus yeah. half. I got it on the shoulder. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Three polos and two pairs of shoes. So, yeah. yeah so Three. the symbol is in a lot of different places. And I could... And I think one of the fun things, and if you re- read James Clear's book on habits, one of the things he'll tell you to do is to take something that you see all the time and let it be a reminder to you mm-hmm. of something that you're trying, a habit you're trying to work on. And so if you're seeing that and you repurpose what that that thing is to remind you of, it actually keeps it fresh in your mind. And so for me, as I was thinking about the sermon this week, I thought, how fun would it be? The Nike logo is all over the place, but what if sure. every time I saw it, rather than thinking about a pair of running shoes, uh, you know, um, a, a about, oh, I need to go buy something with that on it, what if I instead just thought, God's calling me and my church to be victorious? Yeah. How am I allowing God to help me be victorious today? How, what am I doing? And so every time you see that, just say, hey, God, help me be victorious. And I just think that's a fun way of just kind of repurposing something that you see all over the place and, and making it something that, that gives you um, something spiritual. I think sometimes we really, really do ourselves a disservice when we draw this hard and fast line between the secular and the spiritual, and we're like, oh, no, no, all the spiritual stuff is over on this side, yeah. and all the secular stuff is on that side. And what that does is it then creates a divided life as well, because when I'm doing my secular stuff, God's not a part of it. And when I'm doing my spiritual things, then I kind of tend to leave the secular part of my life out of that, and I don't pull the the people in that part of my life into my spiritual life as well. And so I, I think that we are we're called to live a whole life, if and that Ooh. that doesn't uh, that isn't <laughs> divided. Nice. And so this is just one of the fun ways that I thought. So I don't know if that really helps you out or not, Matthew. But that's that's my rationale, and that's what I'm going to stick with. Well, I do think that you're in good company. Paul did the same thing with the tomb of the unknown god. Yeah, that's true. And uh, Moses repurposed all the gods of Egypt when he did the plagues. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. I think the question that I came away with, because I was like, it's it's hard to argue the message that we heard. I just thought it was part history lesson. It was part decoding what Jesus is talking about. Part of it was just gaining a better understanding. But the question that I had, and, and maybe I didn't hear the maybe the answer was there and I didn't hear it, but how do we know that these letters are still meant for us today? You mentioned that, that they are meant for us today when they're speaking to such a specific, they're speaking to seven specific churches and a group of people at a specific time in history. And it doesn't say, oh, by the way, you guys in like 2024 and, you know, or, or later or earlier, like this still applies to you. Why, why is this still applicable to us, even though we're not Ephesus and we're 2000 odd years later? Yeah, good question. And I think that as we trying to think about how I want to approach this. Sure. Yeah, no, it's not, I mean, (laughs) 
<laughs> I, so the reason it applies to us today is the reason why pretty much anything in the Bible applies to us today. All the things in the Bible happened at almost a minimum of 2,000 years ago. And so why does it apply to us today? Because the human story always applies. I might come from a different background than you do. I might come from a different place in life. But when you tell me your story, there are always things that I will glean from that Mm. that will enrich my life and make it better. So does every detail square up with the whole life church in the story of Ephesus? Not in my opinion. Yeah. But there are things that do, in my opinion. And so the and what I find fascinating about this is that when this letter, the book of Revelation, is written by John, it's sent on a circuit to all seven churches. So Jesus didn't say, okay, here's the story, here's the letter for the Ephesian church, just take it there. Here's a letter from the church of Samaria, just take it there. He actually, all seven letters are supposed to be read by all seven churches. And that tells me right there that that even though the Laodicean church receives a different message than the church of Ephesus and the church of Smyrna, there was something that Jesus wanted them to understand in the messages that he was giving to all those churches. And as we're going to get into a little bit later in this series, the number seven is very important because in the Bible it usually signifies completeness. And so when you have these seven churches that are receiving, each one is receiving a message from God, some theologians are going to argue that this is the complete message to God's church encapsulated in these seven churches. Each one has its own message, but the completeness of what God is trying to do inside of a church can be found in there. And so for me, what that feels like to me is that whole life can learn something from each one of these seven messages. Does each one apply directly to us? Well, the church in Smyrna that I'm going to be preaching about this next week, I think that's going to be a hard one for us to be like, oh, that, how does that apply to me? Because it's, it's this is the persecuted church. And maybe there's some of you who are feeling persecuted right now, so maybe this will apply. But they were going through some significant persecution on a governmental level and from other uh f- from the from the Jewish faith people practicing that faith in Smyrna and so some of the churches are, are going to find or there's like a more direct link to maybe what whole life is going through and some churches there may be less but I also think that churches go through phases in their in their existence and that there's different times that churches experience different things and so you know I definitely would I don't enjoy persecution, so I, I don't really particularly hope that we go through that <laughs> here at Whole Life. But if we do, then the Church of Smyrna might really speak to us later on in a different context and in a different time period. So we'll just have to go along with uh, the New Testament scripture that says that all all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Yeah. And even though it was referring to the Old Testament in that particular scripture, I believe that applies to what we find in the New Testament canon today. Hmm. No, I, I thought it was interesting that the the Church of Ephesus in, you know, kind of paraphrasing and, or going through the, you don't have love, for, you know, you don't love me like you used to, you, you're not loving others. And the idea of having this obsession with having doctrinal purity, that, that felt a little bit like home from, <laughs> from my early years where huh. it was uh, more more about doctrine and why we were right 
and then in somehow that made it pure is what it felt you know kind of felt yeah. like versus the reminder of you can have all that and that's great and maybe you do have it right maybe you got parts of it right whatever the case may be but if you don't have love you're missing out on the on the whole thing so in a way i kind of felt like this was part of this was describing part of my journey part of your childhood huh <laughs> childhood to where now i feel like at whole life not that we don't care about doctrinal purity. Obviously, we're talking about the the churches of Revelation. And I think the things that we discuss on a regular basis, leading through love, is making sure that we aren't the church of Ephesus. And so I thought that was a unique way that, like, where do we fit in and where people listening may have found themselves finding a niche within this and and the importance that it put on it of the love. Yeah, I'll say, and I, I, I declined to kind of put in too much of my interpretation of where, where we might be at as a church uh, on Sabbath, but I I will say that one of the things that I really do admire about the Church of Ephesus is how much they cared about understanding the Bible and what God was wanting them to be. Um, I really appreciate that about them, and I think that one of the things that can happen in the culture and time that we live in is that there is tends to it because we have so much knowledge and because we've seen so many people lie to us and it can feel like the truth is a hard thing to figure out and it can kind of almost put us on the well who knows what truth is and you know I don't know maybe there's maybe it doesn't really matter just you do what you think's best I'll do what I think's best um but we know what truth is. We know that truth is Jesus. It's a, it's a person. It's not simply a, a set, it's not a set of rules. The truth is Jesus. And so the Bible tells us you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you just change that to you, if if you know Jesus, Jesus will set you free. Yeah. That changes things up a little bit. And so for me, I really admire that the church of Ephesus cared about doctrine because good doctrine leads us towards Jesus, but bad doctrine pushes us away. Mm. And their problem was is that they had left the love out of their doctrine, which will always push people away. Sure. And one of the things I love about whole life is that I think whole life does a good job at loving. I think whole life does a really great job at loving and caring. And if that's the first love, the most important love, then I'm happy to be strong on that one. Be strong on there, yeah, for sure. Millie? I was just going to say that, you know, when you think about communities, sociologically, how they how they define themselves and what their identity is, and sometimes, I guess, a lot, not sometimes, a lot. <laughs> Religious communities define themselves by what they believe, but more importantly, by what they don't believe or what they are not, mm. which... Which a lot of times means that you 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 create a natural exclusion mm. when you set up belief as the center or you set up doctrine as the center. If belief or doctrine is at the center, then there are going to be people who are in and people who are out. And I don't think when, when you have a, a church that's focused on the two greatest commandments, love God and love people, then that's what's central. Belief is peripheral. And beliefs can change over time. Not that we don't explore and try to figure out what we believe 
but also we don't allow belief to to be the exclusion or be the dividing line between us and other people so that we're pushing people out. I think we always want to be drawing people in. And I think that's one thing that maybe Ephesus, you know, needed to work on is maybe the belief was what was central and they needed that greatest commandment, like you mentioned, Ken, to be the to be the center so that people are drawn in instead of kept out. Man, that might be the best description <laughs> of how, you know, of focus and where we should be. That's that's perfect. Sounds like dissertation stuff. I, I know. <laughs> sounds like some dissertation stuff. Yeah. Page three hundred and twenty-seven. Well, if, if you go to Ephesus, and actually that was one of the fun things we we went toured Ephesus. The most prominent building in Ephesus is the library, which you know, and it's also the the the, the strongest. It's still standing at the strongest building in in Ephesus, and you kind of that you can kind of see. That the emphasis was put on hmm, knowledge. their knowledge, their knowing, and um, it was protected. As a matter of fact, it was literally across the street from the brothel, which was, in a sense, a protective measure, because that's where all the the soldiers were that could protect the you know could protect <laughs> oh, the library. Man. That's but, thinking right there. They're yeah, just thinking yeah, exactly. that through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have some things and I'm going to just go ahead and let I'm just gonna, Yeah, we're not even going to let that just one let that go right on, yeah. right on past. That's, yeah. Well, the other, the, maybe the thing that stood out to me as much as anything was the seven, the seven stars in the right hand and the, the, the coins that you brought into about how the emperors wanted to or would have those, you know, that power mm-hmm. and and Jesus again taking control over something that he could then turn into and repurpose for his use but that was really beautiful that the symbolism of him being in control of the church walking through the lampstands intimately knowing his people and if there was one thing that made it seem real it was that that this symbolism still seems to work even after all yeah. of this time even though you know we don't most people don't have seven you know uh, lamp seven pointed lampstands in their house or anywhere <laughs> and it's not popular decor or anything and our money doesn't have seven stars on it or under the emperor system but that picture to me when you were talking about that that really warmed my heart mm. like something that picturing god being that concerned or that the having that much desire to have that intimate knowledge of us as a people and as a church and his church, that even today, how does that not make you feel a little warm and fuzzy inside and a little bit of maybe it's just a reminder that God really does put so much effort into this relationship and maybe we need to buy a pair of Nikes each of us just to make now and just repurpose that or and just make sure that at, we're remembering. Just look at your neighbor's Nikes, whichever works. So. Yeah. yeah. But no, I love that. It's what you said. It's the power and presence. So yeah. power holding the stars, presence walking among the golden lampstands. And what's really important as you listen to the series is that Jesus always describes himself at the very beginning of every single one of mess- message that he sends to one of the churches. He gives a description of himself that's a little bit different. And in this one, you, like you say, he describes himself as holding the seven stars in his right hand and walking among the golden lampstands. Um, next week, we're going to see Jesus describe himself in a different way to a church that's going through persecution. And I just love it because it 
just speaks to my heart about how Jesus adapts who Jesus is to what each person needs. And a one-size-fits-all Jesus is a completely and utterly inaccurate picture of Jesus. Jesus helps people see who he is in the way that they need to see who he is. And so when you think about you know, the, the authority and the presence, Ephesus needed to hear that. They need to remember that, that they weren't the final authority. They weren't the ones that held the stars in their hand. They weren't the ones who had power everything over everything, and that they needed his presence with them and to be in that relationship with him. So Jesus always presents himself in the way that we need to experience Jesus, and we're going to see that particularly vividly and poignantly in the story of Smyrna that's coming up. Well, that makes perfect sense. If these were letters that went out to all seven churches, that makes yeah. a ton of sense that this is something everybody can use. This isn't yeah. like, well, I don't need to do I don't need to worry about that. And then one of my last question was, and you touched on it briefly, and I don't know if it's too much to go into or it would take too much time, but why is the why is there so much debate about who the author of Revelation is is and does it matter who it is? Why is there so much debate? Because we don't have an original manuscript, and the authorship at the beginning says, I, John, was in a vision on the Lord's Day. Um, there's Because we don't have an original letter, the earliest uh, fragments that we have, the earliest ones, open up the debate of when the, this revelation was written. And if it was, depending on when it was written, it, in some cases, it would make it hard for John the disciple to have written it written because it, yeah. it would at the have been, age of one hundred and fifty or yeah, something. Yeah, at the age of one hundred and fifty, <laughs> and so, so that's why there's debate over it. It's because you can't really authenticate when it was written, which makes it hard then to say, well, if the earliest manuscript that we have was written sometime around two hundred A.D., then does that mean that it was really written 50 years before that? Does it mean it was written 100 years? And so you just kind of start getting into these debates over it. And, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist Church's stance has been that John, the beloved, is the one that wrote it, um, that John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. If you were like me as a little kid, you kind of pictured this, like, kind of remote little island with, you know, some goats on it and John seen on a rock, you know, <laughs> when, when, when Jesus kind of— <laughs> When Jesus kind of shows up and surprises him in his loneliness on this island. Um, but the true picture of Patmos was that it was a very much an inhabited island. It was not, it's not some, I mean, John would have had a lot of people around that would not, he would not have been oh. by himself. And so maybe he went off somewhere by himself. And this that's when the vision happened, but he wasn't in some remote place. The other important part is that Patmos is right off the, um, off of where Greece and Turkey is, and so it, it it's a not, the first stop if you are if you're sending this by mail courier is Ephesus. You're gonna you know go across you know get on a boat, go to the mainland. You're gonna head towards Ephesus, and you're gonna make that hmm. round trip. And so uh, I don't know, Melanie, do you have any further explanation why it's debated who wrote it? Well, I think I mean there are a lot of books in the Bible that are debated who wrote it and when it was written. And there are different clues that scholars look at. Uh, sometimes there are historical clues, like whether or not, you know, the temple had had been destroyed or um, 
And, and sometimes they compare it with other manuscripts that are contemporary to that time and the kinds of language that were used in these different manuscripts. So they can they can say, oh, that word didn't exist then, but it's being used, so it must be this time period. Kind of like King James Version of the Bible versus right. today's contemporary versions of the Bible. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Although I've heard a lot of people pray in the King James Version, so I don't know. I don't maybe know. That's <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's good. Maybe that's what throws us off that's is some of these writers were just writing. And, writing. Yeah, yeah. From, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, though, I mean, he identifies himself as John. And does it matter if it was John the disciple or John the later disciple or whatever? I don't. I don't know that it ultimately changes anything about... Yeah. what we dig into in Revelation. But it would be interesting if it were the same person because then you can, you know, cross cross reference other other books. One of, and that brought back to mind, Melanie, that one of the other ways that um, people who study these things also look to see about authorship is if they so you have the Gospel of John that was written, and then you have first and second and third John that was written. And so what scholars will do is they'll take those books and they'll compare them to is the writing style similar do they use the same kind mm -hmm. of yeah, exactly. the, the kind of verb tenses and do they do they you know if you've heard ken speak you can kind of guarantee he's going to say a couple little phrases that you're going you might hear this story or this this word he tends to like to use a lot same thing with john that's what scholars look and there are some differences in the way the book of revelation is written versus the gospel of john Versus first, second, and third John, and so that's again reason why there is some debate in there. And again, people can change their styles as they get older. They can have somebody who is writing one thing for them, and then have somebody who's writing something else for them. There's a lot of different explanations you can come up with. It's the kind of thing that that theologians love to argue about because it's fun, and not because it particularly <laughs> matters. Right. Hmm. Cool. Well, I think that uh, wraps up the message nope. portion, unless you had something else. I, 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 you, you brought up that I did promise I was going to talk about the um, the the removal of the lampstand. Oh, well, um, I was going to start with that. Oh, okay. Well, I was gonna, no, well no, no, that I'm was, sorry. See, I, did, I thought well, we were wrapping it all up here. Well, yeah. Well, we were going to get to the questions, and one of my first ah. questions was from John, who said, why symbolize a church with a candlestick? So I thought that might lead us also into answering hmm. the question and giving you the yeah, this is kind of a cool thing. In the Old Testament, we see the earth, the um, this the wilderness sanctuary that that Moses builds, that that God gives him the designs for in the Book of Exodus, and um, and so in that in the holy place of the uh, the wilderness sanctuary, there is this seven uh, this candlestick with seven branches on it, and so. When you see Jesus walking among the seven candlesticks, this is uh, would appear to be an allusion uh, to that candlestick and why the candlestick. Well, you know what do what do candlesticks do? They they put the candle up high, um, give it some height. Just you know, there's a reason why we generally have our you know lights in the ceiling versus on the floor, and so a candlestick adds uh, height to where the light source is coming from. Um, and what do light, lights do? They, they illuminate. They make it possible to see. And so very apt description for what Jesus desires his church to be. 
We are a smaller light compared to who Jesus is, and yet we do illuminate the world around us if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We illuminate the world around us and and bring light out of darkness because we are sharing Jesus and the good news of wholeness and what Jesus can do to make life better, Mm. not just uh, for the world to come, but in this current life, how Jesus can make things better. And so thus the, the lampstand from my perspective, and if you got another scholar in here, they might have more to add or argue with me, but that's that's my take on it. I see two others. Do do they either of you have anything to add or I'm subtract? I'm going I'm going with what he said. I, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> it sounded logical to me, but I'm not a scholar, so I have to defer to the experts in the room. So I'm not gonna weigh in. Come with, on, go for it, Randy. <laughs> go for <Are> it. You? <laughs> no. Um Jared had a question. In... So do you want me to go into the removal part of it now oh, or did you? later? Oh, okay. So yeah. we went to that. That's true. We so Jesus, in each one of the messages that he gives to the churches, if he has a complaint, he will also have a consequence. <laughs> and so in the church of Ephesus, the complaint was that you don't love me like you did at mm, first. Yeah. And, and so then there is a consequence. He says, if you do not return to your first love... I will remove your lampstand is is his uh, consequence. And so one of the fun little theories that I came across when I was studying this is that this might have had a special meaning to the Church of Ephesus because the city of Ephesus had actually had to move several different times in its history because uh, Ephesus is a a port city— and the, the the Castor River flows into um, this harbor that they were on, and the the River Castor would have a lot of silt coming down. You think about the Mississippi, and you think about the deltas that that are created from a, a large river that carries dirt and silt down it. Well, the Castor River was carrying a lot of silt down it, and it would flow into this into the into the harbor, and which would make the harbor eventually inaccessible because it, enough builds up, the ships can't really get, unless you dredge it. And then they, and they would have to be kind of continually doing dredging to keep it open. Well, there were several times in the history of Ephesus where they actually had to move because the, the river created so much of a problem. And I toyed with putting this in my sermon, but because it's it was, there was so little time, and this is such a this is a theory more than anything, but what's interesting is that some people will take the word remove in the original language, and they'll say that it doesn't mean like permanently pulling the lampstand out and putting it away, but rather it means moving it to another place. And so that Jesus basically said, if you can't flourish in this place, I'm going to have to move you to somewhere where you can flourish and where you can do what you were um, designed to do. Uh, and again, this is a big debate. It's not by any stretch of the imagination settled, but it was it's just a little interesting theory because that word can mean to to move and not simply to remove to to completely take away. And you can see that there could be some pretty pretty big theological implications to being removed versus being just simply moved to another place. Um, and so, Again, I'll leave it to you to decide where you want to fall on that. So, fun little fact, um, Ephesus has not been near the river for 
hundreds of years. And just last year, they decided to start a project where they could, again, <laughs> connect Ephesus with the river. So yeah. what caused the move? And what, matter of fact, if you go there now, you're not even close to any water at all at this point. So it's not the historical Ephesus that... that oh, it is. That, that, yeah, it's, 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 it's just how the geography changes okay. because yeah. of the over, because over of the years. And, wow. and that's what also becomes interesting is that Ephesus eventually was abandoned. Really? It, so it is It is a... Today, it, it's, it's, it's a tourist spot. You go through to see it. It's not... I don't... Jeff, you've been there. There weren't people really living there. No, there's nobody living there. As a matter of fact, it's also about two to three miles away from where the temple of Artemis, because it was already moved from yeah. where the, the, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. Yeah. It's not even in Ephesus anymore because of where they had relocated Ephesus. So they tore down Artemis's... No, that no, was, they, tore, tore, or it was they, burned down years and years ago. Okay. Uh, how, hundreds and thousands of years ago. Yeah, it was, wow. the, so it was John Chrysostom and his warriors yes, that came yeah, through and yeah. tore that down. A lunatic, they say. And so, that's, <laughs> and so that's what becomes kind of interesting about it, is that Ephesus actually... Literally gets removed. Yeah, <laughs> gets a, literally gets moved. Gets removed. And it was anyway. It was still a port town in the in in John's time. You know, during that time of where Revelation is written. But even then, there was this almost mile long walk. It's a walkway to the port from the town. Even then, and okay. that's still standing, which wow. is interesting. So if I were going to make a metaphor for this, I would say that one of the things we probably have to do is regularly dredge mm-hmm. our our Good heart point. to make sure that love is always flowing and that nothing clogs up the flow of love out of our life. Otherwise, we might have to be removed. And and I honestly think that one of the things that makes God angry, and because anger isn't a sin, but one of the things that makes God angry is people who misrepresent him and mm-hmm. cause other people to not want to be around him by the way that they behave. And as Christians, we often put it, we, we, we love to go ahead and stick it to those sinners, right? Over the sinners over there. But I think that God is a whole lot less angry with those quote unquote sinners than he is with those of us who take on his name purport to represent him, and then bring darkness instead of light into our world. And I think that when that happens, I think that sometimes God does remove our lampstand. He goes, I'm not, I'm just, I can't, no. You're not going to get to go ahead and pretend like you're shining a light into this world and misrepresent me as catastrophically as you are. I want to remove that and not allow that to happen. And I don't believe it's mean-spirited. It's just, I'm sorry, you know, I remember there was a, a point where I was at a, I was in a community I was visiting, and uh, there was a, I was at a, a, an event, and a person took interest in my child, and it just didn't feel right. And so I kept an eye on, on what was happening and eventually found a reason to get my child, move them away. Later on, found out that this person had a reputation for inappropriate relationships with children. And I had zero problem. I would have, as if I were a pastor there, I would have zero problem in removing that person from being around children. Zero problem. Not because I hate that person, not because I'm not loving, but because when somebody is doing something destructive, you move them. (laughs) You get them out of the place where they're doing harm. And so... 
Jesus, in my opinion, when he's talking to the Ephesians, he's basically saying, when you have this loveless religion, at some point I've got to remove that because that is just not representative of what I need this world to see. You're not doing what you were put there to do. And um, and so that's... that's um, Man, for a moment there, you took us back to the Law series, <laughs> taking the Lord's name in vain. You know, it's amazing how the Bible Bible interlocks, isn't it? About how we misrepresent God, and that's (laughs) a... I like the way this is playing out, though. I I do think that there is a very important, even though we've kind of touched a little bit on, you know, how we understand God personally, but I do think that the the letter is meant to be for a group of people to be Mm -hmm. a part of. A church is a, you know, is a group, a... Group of churches is a group, and so I think these letters are important. That that, and maybe maybe we can fashion it personally by saying, you know, there's a lot of different leanings that I have in my life at times, and you know, how do I listen to these different leanings? But for the most part, this is a message to a group of people who call themselves God's followers. And know. if the tennis shoe fits, yeah, there yeah. you go. Good, lace <laughs> them up. Yeah, most importantly, be victorious. There That's go. right. At least. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So uh, we have another, our last question is from Jared, and I think this is in referencing uh, the, the the speaking about the love and that being so important, and asking is loving people the same as loving God? So are we? Is that a, something that he's telling the church? Hey, you're not being kind to each other. You're not loving each other, or are you not loving me? Is it different? Is it the same? If you don't love people, you can't love God. Oh, wow. If you don't love people, you're not loving God. And that's not Ken speaking. That's the Apostle John speaking. That's John. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And and actually, it kind of goes the other way, too. If you love God, you're going to love others. I mean, yeah, you, can you, flip really, it. you really could flip it. Yeah, I like that. And finally, Aaron, who is always one of our one of our people that we find in the chat every single week and is always engaged. She said, "I was definitely blessed by the message. It's neat to learn about the symbolism and illusions in the vision that I haven't heard taught before, like about Nike and Artemis. Reminds me of the plagues and how they were showing God was more powerful than the other gods." And there was a lot of good comments and, and things happening there. So thank you all for those comments and for being engaged with each other. It makes the uh, – when I get a chance, I always like to hang out in the chat during services in my <laughs> office and just see what's happening because there's always good conversations happening in there each week. So this week we are in week two, yep. and we're going to be talking about the church at Smyrna. Smyrna. Yeah. Okay, and we talked a little bit. So this is the one they're going through persecution. They are. Oof. They are. They're the persecuted church. And uh, one of the really cool things about this church that we'll talk about this next week is that Jesus doesn't have any uh, criticism for them. Yeah. Very. This is a, that's another Smyrna. It's another port town, isn't it? Yes, I do okay. believe you are correct um, yeah, on that. So. And. Uh, so you might want to you might want to do your research and find out what this name Smyrna means. Yeah, mm. there you go. And if you were paying attention during the message, and if well, if you missed the message, I wanted to go ahead. I forgot to put it in my notes, and it just came to me that there was a secret word this week. Every week there's a secret word, so you should definitely go back and watch that message and see if you can figure out what that secret word is. There's yeah. 
plenty of clues. Yeah, there, was, <laughs> there were lots of clues, and it might even be obvious to those might, if you might, really might stop be, and think yeah, about it. But find out what the secret word is. Keep them. Each and every week, there'll be one for each of these messages. And we have such a cool... I am so psyched <laughs> about the... Uh, the uh, the gift that uh, have we decided will on? be given to those who overcome at the very end. Yeah, the victor yes. the victors will victors. will will be uh, so the victors go the spoils. There'll be, there'll be a reward there for you. There will be. There so write go. those down, keep them, and we will have a place and a time where we will extract those from your pad of paper, your iPhone, yeah. your Android, your mind. If you can remember all seven, I know I can't. I gotta write it down, or I'll forget. Hey, can I plug something else that's fun that's coming up Uh-oh. here at Whole Life? Here we go. What lay down? Well, we have a worship concert that's coming up, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. When's yes, we that? do. It's the last weekend of the month. Okay. Is that September 28th or 29th? I'm not yeah, looking at my... it's going to be just a great worship concert yeah, Saturday really night. Cool. You're going to want to be there. It's uh, just going to be kind of a really just fun worshipful yeah kind of an kind of an unplugged a a night of acoustic worship with with a lot of our different worship leaders are going to be involved and it's going to be a really special time it's the 30th thank you the 30th it is the last day of the month and the last Saturday okay and then I am so excited to announce for the first time publicly you ready publicly we are doing our connected event this year oh that's right with Ba, ba, bum. Da, 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 da. Four Roots, and if you're not familiar with Four Roots, it was uh, it is a wonderful organization that helps with food insecurity. Um, they basically are on a mission to teach us how to grow our own food, and then how to prepare said vegetables and food into into good wholesome food. And uh, if you're not familiar with Four Roots, they were uh, that charity was founded by John Rivers of Four Rivers Barbecue. And so it re- they're aimed at trying to help people who live in food deserts, who don't have uh, maybe same access to fresh uh, vegetables and fruit and things like that, that, that some of us may have the blessing to have that opportunity to have. And uh, so we're partnering with them because they're doing a huge event on October 28. I need you to write this on your, on your, on your calendar. Cross off October 14 if you had it on there. Cross that off. Pretend like I didn't even say that. And October 28, we um, are partnering up with Four Roots. They have a fall harvest festival that they are going to be doing out at the new um, park that's over in the packing district. The Grove Park. The Grove mm-hmm. Park. It is brand new. We were just out there this afternoon. They've got this gorgeous outdoor amphitheater. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful and this huge lawn, great parking. Um, we're going to do all kinds of different uh, things with them to assist them. They've got a 4K run that they're going to do. In the, uh, it's called a Sprouts run that they're going to do. But then after that, they're having the Fall uh, Harvest Festival that they're going to do right there on site. They're going to have um, health screenings. There's going to be all kinds of different vendors from our community providing medical services and also uh, promoting uh, good living and that sort of thing. And we're going to need people to help set up. We're going to need to have people help take down. We're going to need to have people helping with the 4K. The cool thing is that uh, Four Roots is working with our worship team. And so Whole Life whole life music team is going to be providing the music for this event. I mean, for four hours of this four event. Four hours. It four is hours. really cool. Yeah. So um, we are really grateful to be able to partner with such a great 
a great organization. Again, this October 28. Um, mark off on your calendars, I would say, from eh, probably 7 a.m. to 3 in the afternoon. The actual event, I think, I think the fun run starts at like 8 o'clock, I think. And then uh, after that, the... Um, the fall festival starts at nine, runs till two, but we'll need people there to help set up, take down. So, you know, maybe you want to be the one to help set up and we can find other people to help take down. Or you want to be the person to help take down, but uh, be watching for the signups. Signups are going to be coming out hopefully in the next week or two to for different things that we're going to need help with. Stay tuned to wholelife.church. Slash events. Slash events. And, um, and check that out because um, it is going to be amazing. You do not, do not, do not, do not want to miss out on this. You might want to take a trip into Orlando if you're out, out of town. Just check in. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, going to be incredible. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, and but it's a good thing that you mentioned that, and I'll go ahead and put that... Uh, that URL in the show notes because everything upcoming, this is something we just transitioned to is in a a complete events calendar. So anything upcoming will start to uh, be moving into that direction where you won't find anything on the carousel on the front of the website anymore. It's all going to be right at the top of the page. It's two tabs over it's whole life events. And when you click on that, everything that's upcoming will be there. Updates will happen there. So as those are updated along with links for all the different people and actually, if you go there now, by the time you're listening to this, you'll find a new link with the correct date that's been changed. It's confirmed. And from there, you'll find links to our webpage. It has the whole connected event, which will be a part of that. And when you go there, all the places to sign up, well, everything will be active there. So, and, and if there's any questions, there's an email or address on that page. So everything you need for this event will be there. So just check wholelife.church slash events. That will be the new place for everything that's happening. And we're at this point right now, just getting all of our events in and starting to put those and fill those there. But from now on, that's where you're going to find out everything that is upcoming and happening at the church. So those are two. Those are two good ones, Ken. Yeah. Oh man, I'm excited! And of course, we have got the barn party coming up in November. That's right. <laughs> Goodness, yeah. We started planning that. Yeah. We were planning a church retreat. We had a planning meeting on that this morning. This morning. Can and you imagine? Man. 2024 <laughs> March. And we're right? actually thinking about 2025 too. Oh, we're yeah, working yes. on speakers for 2025. We have we our should. speaker lined Whoa. up for 2024. I don't think mm-hmm. we should let them have that yeah. yet. Though. Not yet. Oh, yeah, I don't know. We should keep that. We should keep. This is, I'm not things. ready for that yet. <laughs> this is pretty big, though. It is big, it is but maybe maybe. Is there a chance that we could, could do this with the connected? We could work that together just with the maybe at connected. Mm, at connected. Connected. We could we could announce. I it? feel like that would be a good opportune time to I maybe just feel do like that. It would, mm-hmm. it would be proper. That I might like be good. It. Okay. I like it. Let's do it. Well, I want to tell you this: you do not want to miss, miss church retreat this year. This no. like you. This I mean, is not like, the year you want to like take a vacation take a, during yeah, that take, time. Maybe or, I'll take a. No. And you're gonna want to come up early on Friday. I'll just I'll lay that oh, out my there. Goodness. Oh man, we are doing something Friday night that has never been done. That. You will be begging to have happen every year. <laughs> I'm just saying you might want to, you know, you might want to think about even. It's, it's amazing. Just leaving. And I don't like think really I'm early. overhyping it. I don't think no. I'm overhyping it. No, I mean, if I were you, it might be. It's you know, get up at five, beat traffic out of town, stop somewhere for breakfast, roll into camp about ten. Yeah. You know, just get there early, get a feel for the vibes. There's lots of cool things happening this year. Yeah. You might, more so than ever. You, it's. That's it. Just every year. Mm-hmm. Keep it going. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week, guys. Thanks for listening and have a great week. <laughs>